You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Amanda Lane. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. Now, let's meet Midway. Welcome to Midway United Methodist Church. We are glad that you are here this morning as we come together to worship. I want to invite you to register your attendance. You will see a um, a gray QR code in the seat in front of you. Just snap that and register your attendance. Let us know that you're here. You can share any prayer requests. And one other thing I'm going to point out about that registration sheet or that registration link You can also register for our midweek. Midweek is the the newsletter that goes out on Thursday afternoon. It has a lot of information about what's going on in the life and the ministry of the church. Um, There's a lot to cover. And if I were to try to give you all that information today, we'd be here an extra 10 to 15 minutes. So I'm going to hit the highlights this morning um, to remind you about the, the activities that are going on in the next couple weeks. Next Friday, the next Saturday, sorry, is the 5K Fun Run for Missions. Um, This will support Murphy Harpst, which is a children's home that caters to children in foster care, uh, especially those who have dealt with um, traumatic experiences. So there are forms in the back right in that table um, that you can fill out to register your attendance. You can register online. Um, Come out, have fun with us. Race check-in begins at 7 a.m. Trunk or Treat is October the 30th at 5 p.m. I hope you plan to join us. And um, if you'd like to, we have different areas where you can help, you can volunteer and serve. Just talk to Tiffany or talk to myself and we'll get you on that sign-up list. A reminder that on October 30th, that morning, will be our celebration Sunday at 11 a.m. One service at 11 a.m. as we celebrate God's grace and love. Um, Come, come to worship, and then immediately following, there will be a, uh, a lunch. So come and eat with us, fellowship, enjoy some good food. Uh, finally, we are hosting a Wills Clinic. So if you need to do some estate planning, I would encourage you to attend this clinic. It is Thursday, October 20th at 6.30 p.m. I'm so glad to see you here ready to worship this morning. 
Let's take a moment to focus our hearts, to focus our minds on the worship of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so gracious to us. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you, to worship you, Lord, to celebrate all that you have given. Yet, Lord, we realize that at times we are like the prodigal son. We've turned away from your grace and your love, Lord, and we've gone our own way. God, I pray that as we worship you today, we would be brought back into the realization just how much you love us and how much you desire to be with us, to have a relationship with us. Lord, would you lead and guide us today in this and all things. Amen. on this journey I get lost in my mistakes What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength My story isn't over My story's just begun Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does Failure won't define me Cause that's what my father does come home the helpless find hope love is on the move when the father's in the room prison doors fling wide the dead come to life love is on the move when the father's in the room miracles take place the cynical find faith 
But since my sermon's 50 minutes today, I thought maybe I should start. I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, the third grader and their parents are, uh, the third graders are getting their Bibles and they and their parents are leaving for a Bible blitz. And I knew their parents wouldn't want to miss a stewardship sermon. So... So today is the second of four Sundays in our series, Defying Gravity. It's a series based on a book by Tom Berlin and accompanying resources, including elements of of this sermon. And the aim of the series is to help us examine how we can break free from our culture of more. Last week, we met a rich young man who was experiencing so much financial gravity that he just couldn't break free. Jesus gave him a once in a lifetime offer to become one of his disciples, but he couldn't do it because he simply could not break free and submit one area of his life to Christ, and that was his money. In other words, the young man chose the kingdom of self over the kingdom of God. And as followers of Christ, we're faced with that same choice. Today, we encounter another wealthy young man. This one is a character in a parable Jesus told about a loving father, better known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's found in the Gospel of Luke the 11th chapter, I mean the 15th chapter beginning with the 11th verse. Amanda, could you go and turn down the air? I see people waving themselves. And I would be one of them if my hands were full. Thank you. Hear now God's word to us this day. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, 
A severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. And put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In January of 2020, Prince Harry and his wife Meghan announced that they were going to step down as senior royals to live a private life. Since leaving their roles, though, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex have been anything but private. They've been all over the media with podcasts and documentary for a multi-million dollar interview in which they criticized the British press and the royal family for being racist and uncaring. But what struck, at, for it struck me most about that interview was the 37-year-old prince's public accusation that his father had cut him off financially. Those were the words he used. His father had cut him off. And not only is Prince Harry a grown man with his own family, he is also a very wealthy man, having received $10 million from his late mother's uh, estate when he turned 30, not to mention the money that he received, a rather hefty sum from his father when He left England. You know, if money is such an issue, I think perhaps the young couple shouldn't have purchased a $14 million home in Montecito with 16 bathrooms for four people. How are you ever going to use 16 bathrooms? And they don't have much family left to even visit and use the house. Harry's public attack on his father would appear to be a byproduct of the weight of financial gravity he is experiencing. It seems the Sussexes want to have their cake and eat it too. They didn't 
want to have to deal with the pressures and the responsibilities of being working royals, but they still want to receive all the benefits. In other words, they wanted to be free from the duties of the kingdom, but still enjoy all the kingdom's wealth. The prodigal son wanted his freedom too. The youngest of two boys, he feels financial gravity with such intensity that he goes to his father and asks for his share of his inheritance. Can you imagine how hurt the father must have been for his son to come and ask that of him is It's like the son is saying to him, I wish you were dead. The son was so intent on pursuing the kingdom of self that he wanted to take the money and run. He gave no thought to the impact that this would have on the rest of the family, especially his older brother who would have to pick up the slack. Free to pursue the kingdom of self with with no strings attached, the young man couldn't wait to escape his family responsibilities and begin a new life in a distant land. What he couldn't have foreseen is how quickly things went south. Soon this, this wealthy young man who would, thought he would be living high on the hog was actually feeding the hogs. He was, what you could say, sucked in to a black hole. A black hole, as I think you know, is a space in a place in space where gravity is so great that nothing can escape its pull, not even light. Berlin likens the kingdom of self to the black holes of space. He says, for many people, money and the things it buys can produce a level of gravity from which they simply cannot escape. One of the worst combinations in this regard is to place a large sum of money in the hands of a person with low spiritual and emotional maturity. We see this played out in the life of the prodigal son who wasted his wealth in extravagant, unseemly living. Soon he, you know, is, finds himself in a difficult place wondering how he is going to survive. We could have predicted such an outcome. You know, the, Though anxious to be independent, the son was too immature to manage such wealth. His impulse control so weak that all options to, of how to spend daddy's money looked equally inviting. His lived life in the fast lane until the very last denarius had slipped through his fingers like sand. You know, our culture schools us into believing that a large money a large amount of money will give us freedom 
and security. But without the discipline and maturity to manage it, a windfall can easily lead to ruin. You know, we only need to look to, you know, those countless stories of million or multi-million dollar lottery winners who, who can't manage their money and find themselves broke within a few years. Or pro athletes who have lucrative playing deals but don't account for the fact that their productive playing years are numbered. Things go from bad to worse for this young man when a famine hits. And having run out of options, he decides to return home with his tail between his legs to throw himself on his father's mercy and beg him for a job on the family estate. As he walks up that familiar road toward home, the son is taken aback to see his father running toward him. Now keep in mind that in this culture, for a man to run was considered undignified, much less for him to run toward someone who had brought shame on the family. Instead of being met with anger, the son was embraced in loving arms and smothered with kisses from his father. I believe that that was the day that the son learned about generosity, about what it looked like. The father restored him to the household. He, he put the family ring on him, put a robe on him and new sandals, and threw a huge party. Berlin describes the father's generosity as a, a kindness the son did not deserve, forgiveness he did not merit, and love that he did not anticipate. It's the same kind of generosity, my brothers and sisters, that we receive from our Heavenly Father. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us the impact of the Father's generosity on the young man. But I like to think that his life was transformed by it. That the selfish boy died and, and a new man a mature man was resurrected in, its, in his place, that he was enjoyed the company of his father and found joy in doing his will rather than thinking only of himself, that he looked to the needs of his family and others and having been a recipient of his grace, he became generous himself. With others. The pull of financial gravity is evident in the prodigal's life. What about our lives? Take, for example, if you will, your prayer life. Often, you know, our prayers are about things we would like to receive. We ask for guidance to make good decisions for 
for good health, for recovery from illness, for protection, for jobs and money to pay the bills, for healing in relationships, along with countless other things. Our desire, no matter how well-intentioned, is often to acquire or to receive something from God. How often, though, do we pray about how we might serve God? How often do we, as individuals or small groups, praying, pray about how we can uh, reach those who don't know Jesus or how we can serve those who are suffering? It's gratifying as your pastor to see all the ways in which you do house the homeless and, and feed the hungry and comfort the grieving. Still, I think it would be eye-opening for us to take note of the ratio of our receive prayers compared with our serve prayers. And I include myself in that. You see, it's an epiphany when followers of Christ recognize the difference between being a beneficiary of God's kingdom and being participants in God's kingdom. It changes our whole perspective on life and creates a new identity, an identity based in generosity. Generous people see themselves, their lives, and their purpose differently than people whose lives are weighed down by financial gravity. As Berlin puts it, generous people are more interested in what they can give than in what they can get. Instead of being consumers, we become stewards. Now, what's a steward? There are lots of stories, parables about stewards that Jesus told. A steward is someone who manages someone else's property. They have broad powers over how the property is managed or how they are run the household. They understand they, they are not the owners, but servants of the owner. And their focus is not self-interest, but the interest and the welfare of the owner. Christ followers understand that they are stewards to God, who is the giver of it all. Sadly, most Christians don't act like stewards. Because financial gravity pulls us toward a belief that we are the owners and what we possess is ours to support the lifestyle that we desire. Psalm 24.1 speaks to a different reality. It says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, those and those who live in it. God is the owner of everything, and we are stewards entrusted with the management of God's property. 
most people in the United States live like owners, not stewards. The book, The Paradox of Generosity, reported that very large numbers of Americans, despite wanting to live a happy and healthy and purposeful life, failed to practice the kinds of generosity that leads to such a life. The Science of Generosity Initiative was a a survey conducted in 2010 among um, 2,000 Americans who were questioned. This survey revealed this, that 44.8% of Americans self-reported that they gave zero dollars of their income to charity in the previous year. You heard that right. 45% gave zilch, nada, nothing, not one dollar. That means that they ignored the cancer research drive. That means that they didn't even put the change from their pocket in the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas. That means that they walked by the offering plate at church. The report went on to say that another 41% gave less than 2% of their income to charitable causes. In other words, most of the financial generosity in the U.S. if given by 14 of the population who is willing to give away more than just 2% of their income. Well, you know, we may be thinking, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I don't have much money to give, but I give my time. Well, volunteerism is important. It's vital to charitable organizations. But you know, the same study found that more, to, more than 76% of the people reported that they gave no volunteer hours to any organization. Three out of four people didn't give any of their time to charitable groups. It would appear that our country is suffering from a generosity famine. Berlin rightly identifies that a lack of generosity is not about stewardship. It's about identity. Stewards, you see, understand that they are simply custodial agents who, who manage money and assets with the goal of not pleasing themselves, but of pleasing the owner. Now, in order to become a steward of financial resources, one has to be disciplined. And the best way to do this is to set aside a percent of our money in the work of God. That is, to give proportionately, to give a proportion of our income. A tithe, one-tenth of one's income, the first 10% is what the scriptures 
or tell us to give. Actually, the tithe should just be the bottom and everything else above it, the icing. You see, God gave the, the nation of Israel the tithe as a practice. And it, that money was used to support the worship life of Israel and to care for the vulnerable. Why would God ask Israel to do this? Did God need their money? No. God didn't need their money. God doesn't need our money. God is perfectly capable of accomplishing what God needs to do, but God would rather do it in partnership with us. I wonder, could it be that the tithe is not for God's sake, but for ours? Because if we can practice tithing, that means that we are not unduly experiencing financial gravity. It means that we are in control of our resources and handling them maturely and spiritually. Berlin says, It seems clear that the tithe is intended to be a discipline that enables people to participate in God's kingdom. As they give their tithe, they become stewards or servants, and through their generosity, they gain a sense of identity. The practice of proportional giving calls them to offer their best for God's kingdom and to live into their identity as stewards. When I think of stewards, I think of my late mother-in-law. She grew up in the Philippines in a middle-class family. And her family, all of them, came to Christ in a small Presbyterian church located next to their family compound. Mom gave to that church her whole life and supported, and still we as a family send money there to support the church's ministry. When my husband was in the sixth grade, he wanted nothing more than to be on the middle school basketball team. So he practiced, and he practiced, and he practiced. And after the tryouts, he found out that he made the team. Pretty good accomplishment for a sixth grader. He was very excited. And there was specifically one thing he wanted as he began his basketball career. He wanted a pair of Chuck Taylor Converse All-Star. That was what he wanted. He wanted to be able to wear those out on the basketball court. So he asked his mom for some. Well, it came time for his first game. And his mom brought out the shopping bag and hers and dove into it and took the shoebox out and opened it up to find a pair of Kmart brand shoes. Herson was as disappointed as he was angry. And he complained to his mother, I only asked for this one thing. Why couldn't you give me this one thing? 
And his mother told him, because we first give to God, and there wasn't enough money after that to buy you the name brand shoes. And Herzen said to her, all I ever hear is about giving to God and giving to the church. How about for once, give to me? Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) He did. And his mom told him in no uncertain terms, she said, we give to God first because God gave the first to us. And God gave his very best in Jesus Christ. God comes first. I've known a lot of generous stewards in my life, a lot, many in this church, but none no more generous than mom. Cleaning up the house after she passed away, I found evidence that she gave not only to the church, but to Bread for the World, Samaritan's Purse, veterans organizations, and on and on. If there was a need, she felt that it was her responsibility to fill it because she knew that she was merely a steward of everything that had been given to her by a loving and generous God. Let us pray. Thank you, dear God, for your great generosity towards us in so many ways, but especially in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be good stewards of all that we have been blessed with from you and to live lives of generosity and gratitude for the furtherance of your kingdom. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, we are going to be recognizing our third graders who will be receiving um, Bibles, Bibles that are given to them by the church. I want to go ahead and invite um, Tiffany to come on up. Um, And let's invite those third graders and your parents, grownups, to come on up with you as well. This is an important step in their faith process. Um, when you receive, I still have my third grade Bible, um, and receiving that Bible allows us and tells our, our children and our youth that it is important that we look to Scripture to define who we are, to help us understand who God is. And so um, we are going to hand these Bibles to each of our our third graders here, and um, we want to make sure they get the right Bible. Let me see the names. Laurel. Jameson. Anna. And last but not least, Jack. These third graders, once, um, 
once we pray over the Bibles, we're going to head back to the youth room and teach them how to use their Bibles, teach them how to go through them and find the things that they have so that um, when they do have questions, when they do want to learn a little bit more about faith, learn a little bit more about God, they can, uh, they have the tools to do that. Um, there is candy involved, so it makes it a little bit better. Um, but we want to um, we want to celebrate with them, and there's going to be some liturgy on the screens because it's not just pastors and it's not just Tiffany um, who works with the children. We want everyone to help them learn to love Scripture. So um, the congregation will join together. Um, it should be on the screens here soon. Receive the Word of God. Learn its learn its stories and study its words. They tell us who we are. They tell us that we belong to one another and that we are the people of God. Okay, and if you third graders can look right back here, it's going to say, children, can you guys with your big voices, can y'all read that part for us? We receive these these Bibles Bibles with with our our hands, hands, our our hearts, hearts, and and our our minds. minds. Thank Thank you. you. We will read read and study study the Bible Bible together. together. And the congregation joins together. We We rejoice in this step step in your journey with God. God. We We pray pray God God will guide you, your family, and us as you use this holy Bible in your home, in your church school classes, and in our worship. We will learn together and grow in our love for God's word. Okay, guys, one more, one more thing. Big voices, okay? The word, word of, God of God is a lamp, lamp to our feet and our light to our path. Thanks be to God. Can we celebrate with these children? Okay, we're going to go that way. And we're going to start our Bible blitz. Remember, I said there was candy. That's awesome. I also have my third grade Bible. Somewhere. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for your grace and your mercy that is renewed each and every morning. We praise you for these kids that are um, now receiving their Bibles and that are uh, going to learn how to use it. We pray that they are dangerous for your sake. We pray that these Bibles teach them how to be just like you. Lord, we, uh, we pray for so many kids that are not going to receive their Bibles in third grade. We pray for so many people that because they have not been exposed to the truth that is in this Bible, 
they're going through so many things in life. And we also pray for the prodigal sons. For the, one, for the ones that have made a choice of not following what this what the Bible says or what the what your word says and now are lost. We pray that they come back to you. Lord, there are so many people struggling. Life is hard. Life is difficult. But it's even more difficult without you and without knowing what you have to say. Lord, we pray for so many that are lost. We pray for so many that are that still don't know you. We also pray, Lord, that you use us as a church to guide all these people through life into your arms and, re and into relationship with you. Lord, we are a church that wants to be used. We are a church that wants to teach the, the truth of the word of God. So use us. Lord, we pray this in your name and we pray this at you. And we continue praying as, um, as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Now, um, I want to thank you again, church, for your generosity and for investing in the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ through Midway United Methodist Church. It's really a privilege that we have to be able to share our resources and share our overflows with, uh, with others. But like Pastor Janie said, um, we shouldn't be given what is left in our bank account in the end of the month, right? We should, be just be, we should just be generous with the premises of what, of what God has given us. Amen. So um, I'm going to tell you just real quick one short testimony of uh, what I have experienced as far as stewardship in my life. I was born and raised in Brazil, which is in South America. Uh, for some people, comparing to this nation, it's not too wealthy, but it, it is wealthy in, in many ways. And uh, But there's also a lot of poverty going on. I grew up in a Uh, in a middle-class family. And so my parents had steady jobs, pretty good jobs, and we weren't rich, but we weren't poor either. And, uh, but I, that's, all the, that's all I knew growing up. That was my reality. You know, we were doing well. But um, growing up, I, I started being involved in church and, 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 and missions department and, and uh, doing some mission work uh, out in the community. And I... I started seeing some things that I, I had no idea existed. I started seeing a different, uh, a different reality, a reality that, is, that was so different than mine. But that taught me one important lesson. And it was an important lesson about stewardship. Money and resources, the resources that God gives us, they're not supposed to be put into where I want them to be. I learned that 
the resources that come from God are supposed to be put into what it into where it's needed. So that changed my life and changed the way I saw things, especially money. Because now I understand that there are people out there that need the resources that sometimes are overflowing from from me. And the reason God blesses us so much is because he wants us to be stewards and also bless others. Everything comes from God. It needs to go back to God. And every time we're sharing our resources and blessing people that are in need, we're blessing him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your generosity and your, your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for our journeys in life and for the lessons we learned. And now we pray that you continue, Lord, putting this, this truth in our lives, Lord. Helping us being, uh, be faithful just like you are and generous just like you are. So we can bless people with the resources you've given us. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.
sing one last song for y'all this morning. Um, I thought it fit very well with the, uh, the Bible presentation. This is one of my personal favorite songs. It's, uh, um, I call it my, my personal anthem. Um, and it's just such a beautiful message about 
building our lives on Jesus. It may be hard, you know, we, we struggle, we do things wrong, but it's so important that we build our lives, we put our trust in him because he's worthy of everything, amen. So let's sing this song this morning. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes.
Now may God go before you to guide you. May God go behind you to direct you. May God go beside you to befriend you. May God rest above you to protect you. May God rest below you to uphold you. And may God dwell within you to comfort you now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.